Generation Star Wars is speaking up and sharing its story. I'm Andrew Leyland. I'm David Michelini. I'm Tom Panneries. I'm Steve Glosson. I'm Matt Hunsworth. I'm Scott Gardner. I'm Ryan Shaw. I'm Paul Herman. I'm Jimmy Mack. I'm Ryder Waldron. I'm Justin Bulger. I'm Joseph Tavano. I'm John Jackson Miller. I'm Concetta Parker. I'm Steve Sansweet. And this. And this. And this. Is my Star Wars story. Is my Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story my star wars story my star wars story my star wars story monthly at mystarwarsstory.com and available in the itunes store a long time ago in a galaxy far far away a great adventure took place oh well, I don't think smoking is grown up at all. Oh, don't be so ridiculous, R2. Underoos are for earthlings. <laughs> all you need is a little rewiring. The children need to be fully immunized. I'm Jawa. Want to buy a boy? Sure, what you got? Wampa, wampa, wampa! We picked up something. It's the Millennium Falcon. I am Boba Fett. The ship you seek is nearby. Growing up Star Wars. Yay! Available the first Monday of every month at 2TrueFreaks.com Offer expires May 31st, 1980. Superman. Captain Marvel. Batman. It is 1985. Robin of Earth 2. Sergeant Rock. The Legion of Superheroes. This is the most eagerly awaited comic book event in 50 years. Tommy Tomorrow. Jonah Hex. Commanding. It will one day be called the greatest comic book event of all time. Swamp Thing. Wonder Woman. The New Teen Titans. The Haunted Tank. Infinity Incorporated. Worlds will live. Green Arrow. Worlds will die. Supergirl. The Flash. And that is only the beginning. The Justice League of America. The All-Star Squadron. The Huntress. Area. The Metal Man. Firestorm. The Nuclear Man. Outsiders. Green Lantern. The Blue Beetle. The Crime Syndicate. Warlord. The Guardians of the Universe. Tales of the Justice Society of America proudly presents... And many, many more. Crisis on Infinite Earths. The DC Universe will never be the same. Only at 2TrueFreaks.com. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. We all remember seeing years ago those futuristic drawings saying what the future is going to be. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing. Gleaming buildings, fast monorails. This is the future. It was all started by a mountain. Twice the size of Manhattan. We want you to share with us our latest and greatest dream. Walt Disney World. Better than any other urban environment in America. 
Two True Freaks proudly presents... We hope that it will be unlike anything else on this earth. Golf courses, campgrounds, stores, hotels. Earning My Ears. A once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for everyone who participates. We're ready to go right now. Attention, please. Attention, please. These cars are about to be activated. Please stand clear of all cars. Motion is about to occur. Thank you. Hi, and welcome to another installment of Earning My Ears. This is the fifth episode. I can't believe we're five in, but actually by now I think we should probably be closer to seven in. Anyway, yes. <laughs> my name is Scott Reif, and I am joined by my pal in Disney, Scott Gardner. Hello. How's it going? It's going great. How's it going with you? Hey, I'm doing fantastically. I am so glad that we are sitting down to record a new episode, and I know the listeners are too, because I cannot tell you the number of PMs and and things I've gotten from people going, dude, what happened to the show? You guys were doing so good. So, <laughs> yes, where has Earning My Ears been? I've gotten a lot of those as well. So, yeah, it, it you know where Earning My Ears is? It's right here. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, we do apologize for the uh, unintended mini hiatus, folks. Uh, we, we do have every intention of the show being a monthly show, but unfortunately, every once in a while, just, you know, life gets in the way. I was going to say, it's better that we took a mini hiatus than a Mickey hiatus. So. <laughs> this is true. But, you know, you're, you're a very busy man, and uh, and I just, you know, really a lot of mine was just work-related. Um, all of a sudden, just things kind of piled up at work. I had a lot of training and retraining I had to go through recently, and uh, scheduling and things, and time just was not my pal this past month. But uh, all of that, hopefully, is behind me. So, uh, yeah, I you know, and, and the last thing I want to, you know, do is make, you know, seem like we're making excuses, but just, you know, I believe in being honest with our listeners. So that's all that was. Hey, if you've got a good excuse, use it. <laughs> um, you know, the, the bottom line is that life conspired to suck us down the vortex of its toilet bowl. And, uh, <laughs> beautiful. That's what <laughs> no privacy at all around this place. Sorry, Orville. We uh, both of us just found ourselves too busy. In fact, I will tell you a deep, dirty little secret. There were a couple of times where we were flat out scheduled to record, and I couldn't make it. And literally at the last minute, which I felt awful about, but uh, such was what was happening at work for me at that point. So uh, we are here, and we're recording, and uh, you're just going to have to deal with that fact. Uh, I'm so, I dude, I've been so looking forward to this. No, so no, it's been yeah. several months. Uh, what, what have you been doing, Disney? You're right in the thick of it, man. You make me so jealous. <laughs> well, you know, that's the thing is I, I often think that people that don't keep up with me, I think that sometimes they think that I'm literally like, I do nothing but go to the parks. <laughs> and I wish that that were true. I mean, there was a there was a serious stretch at the tail end of last year where I didn't go into a park for quite a little bit because, you know, work gets busy, life gets busy. We have a lot of blockout dates, things like that. So um, there was quite a stretch. And it's funny because I don't think I go to the parks as often as I guess I actually do because as I sat down to, you know, to do my homework for this episode, I, of course... Wanted to kind of fill the listeners in a little bit on, okay, so, you know, we had those couple of months off from doing the show. What has been happening for me in the world of Disney in the meantime? What, you know, what have I done? So I came up with the idea of, well, I'll just, I'll give a couple of trip reports, thinking that there'd only been a couple. Turns out there's been rather a lot, actually. So. Uh-oh. 
I wanted to go into that. But before we do that, I wanted to talk to you about, uh, you know, what's new for you in the world of Disney. Because I, I believe that you and I both recently got some Disney-related swag that we wanted to brag about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, um, you actually alighted me to one of them. And, I, and we'll get into that discussion when your turn comes up. This is actually not something that I got so much as it's something I didn't realize I had. How's that for intriguing? Yeah. That is intriguing. Uh, last December, we had that uh, big Jekyll Comic Con. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a rousing success, in fact, to the point that they're already planning this year's and, and already got a really good head of steam. They've actually got some guys from Comic Book Men coming. Wow. Uh, yeah, to Jekyll Comic Con. Last year when we were there, we had a Dinner for Geeks slash My Star Wars Story table set up. And we were right across from this dealer who was selling cheapy comics. And I went flipping through his bins just to kind of see what there was. And I told myself I'd spend $20, which would have gotten me 25 books. And one of the things I found was a book from 1976. It was a book from 1976. That's <laughs> uh, your long-distance dedication. It's, it was a Marvel premiere number 32. And the reason I grabbed it was because it jumped out at me because it's got very Star Wars-like lettering on the front. The logo... Monarch Starstalker is very Star Wars-ish. And then when I opened it up, not only is it very Star Wars-ish in logo, but it is written and drawn by Howard Chaikin, who again was probably months away from drawing the first Star Wars adaptation. Right. So I thought this would be a really cool thing. I'd never seen this before. Be a really cool thing to get. The back page, by the way, has got a Spalding baseball glove ad with three, four different illustrations by Jack Davis. And that means a lot to me for a variety of reasons. I love the guy's work. And of course, he's a neighbor of ours, not neighbor of mine, but he lives in our town. Uh, he's a friend of Ryan, who uh, is on dinner for gigs with me. And so that, I thought that was neat. Anyway, flash forward, my wife goes and rents Big Hero 6. And there's a scene where the gang is at Fred's house mm-hmm. and they're flipping through comic books. And I'll be darned if one of them is not holding Marvel premiere number 32, Monarch <laughs> Starstalker. And it was just one of those, you know, it was one of 25 books. I had to get 25. I thought, well, that's kind of interesting because it's vaguely Star Wars-ish. And boom, it's sitting right there in the middle of Big Hero 6. Now I want to watch that again because I, I completely <laughs> missed that. I, I remember spotting some of the characters in the background and realizing that they were they were different Marvel characters. But that part I did not catch. Yeah. Now I want to see that again. But yeah. yeah, I know the exact comic you're talking about. I can't remember if I have that in my collection, but I definitely know the one that you're talking about. Too funny. Yeah, it takes on even more significance for me now. <laughs> and here, the funny thing also is that you, you know that I have a big wire comic rack, a big Hey Kids comics rack. Yes, and I'm so jealous. <laughs> and uh, when I first got it, I didn't know what to put in it. And so I wound up putting trade paperbacks because I didn't want to unbag a bunch of my comics to put in the in the actual rack, the spinner rack. I, I don't know why I couldn't say spinner rack a second ago. So over time, I said, you know, the, those, those trades just don't look right in there. It just doesn't seem, it's not perfect. And I realized over the years, I've become people's comics repository. I'm sure you're familiar with this. They have a box of comics they want to get rid of. I know who will take these off my hands. Right. And they, you know, and they give it to you. And so I've got a bunch of I got several boxes of those, and I had the 25 that I picked up at Jekyll Comic Con, and I said, you know, this would not involve me breaking up my collection. I'll put them all, and it's a variety of stuff from old Conans to Punishers to ALF to, 
and it's really kind of a really neat eclectic mix there's superman in there there's also you know batman and spider-man and everybody and avengers and buck rogers and popeye and just all kinds of stuff and some gold key tweety and sylvester and you know, anyway uh so i filled it up and so as we were watching it that book is staring at me from the wire rack the spinner rack which is in our our theater room so it was very easy to remember where it was and go grab it because it was sitting right there and when it showed up on screen that's cool yeah it was really really neat but that's really outside of picking up a copy of the <laughs> book that's uh that's kind of it for me on disney on this front well i uh recently went out and just uh did some good old-fashioned back issue hunting you know i i live in the orlando area and we have a chain here called coliseum of comics that yes. has a number of stores in their chain and just on a whim one day, I just wanted to get out of the house more than anything. And I, I had 20 bucks. It was burning a hole in my pocket. So I thought, well, I'm going to go out and just do some uh, some good old-fashioned 50-cent bin diving. And I got some really nice scores the day that I was out. And a couple of those things, you're probably wondering, what has this got to do with Walt Disney World? I bet I know. Now, I don't know if I've mentioned this yet on this particular program. So I, I never want to assume that people... That, that listen to one program I'm on, listen to everything I'm on, because I'm yeah. sure that people that are listening for this, for the Disney stuff, probably don't listen to the other shows. So I think, we, but didn't we do an episode on this? Did we? I think we did. If it's if it's going, well, see, you know what? I don't I don't actually know where you're going, so I'll just shut up and let you go there. I'm not sure. You know <laughs> what? We, we I may have mentioned this before when we, we, certainly when planned we were talking to do about this. Marvel <laughs> Comics. Yeah, I, I know at some point we, we had talked about this. Anyway, long story short... This is how obsessive I am, folks. I, I, I'm a lifelong comic book collector. I'm also, a, you know, as you can tell by this podcast, I'm a huge Disney geek. So I love it when interests of mine cross over with one another. And what I mean by that is, believe it or not, there are a good number of comic books represented at Walt Disney World, displayed somewhere at Walt Disney World. Probably the greatest concentration of them is in, believe it or not, Disney's Animal Kingdom theme park. When you go into Dinoland USA, there are two locations there that have rather a large number of comics represented. Um, one of them is Restaurantosaurus, um, you know, the restaurant. Um, they have a lot of dinosaur-themed comics uh, up on the wall in one of the dining sections. And also in Chester and Hester's Dinorama, the, the gift shop store, they have a lot of dinosaur-themed comic books on display there. And so, being just the crazy obsessive I am, I've been trying to build a mini collection within my collection of the comics that are displayed somewhere at Walt Disney World. Now, those aren't the only locations, but that, that's the, the bulk of it is there. So, as I was out comic hunting the other day, Thankfully, they were only 50 cents a piece because uh, I didn't really want to spend much more than that. I actually found issues three and seven of Turok Dinosaur Hunter by Valiant Comics yes. that uh, are on display there at Chester and Hester's. So I, I nabbed those, which is nice, you know, nice cheap deal on that. And this was a bit more than I actually wanted to spend, but I have been chasing this for a while. And it, this was the cheapest I have seen this issue. And I thought, I got to have it because, you know, come on, it's it's just I need it for my collection. For five bucks, I scored an old, you know, I don't even know what year this is. I'm going to have to pop this open just to see what year it is because this is an, originally a 12 cent comic. So that tells you how old it is right there as far as era. This is, I'm going to guess... 
I'm going to say 66. Let's see. This is, ooh, it's even older than that. 1962. Mm. Rip Hunter, Time Master, number seven. All and right. again, this is represented at, uh, at Chester and Hester's. It's this great cover of Rip Hunter and a pal of his being menaced by a saber-toothed tiger and a giant dinosaur coming out of a cave. And I just, I, I love this. And again, picked it up for no other reason than because it is displayed there at Chester and Hester's. So that was kind of my little uh, braggish score that I got recently, uh, Disney-related. Also, how, how many shekels did Rip Hunter set you back? Oh, that was five bucks on that one. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad. That's the cheapest I have seen that issue because I've been watching it for quite a while on eBay, but I, I had never seen it cheaper than that, so that's why I picked it up. Even though it was more than I really wanted to spend, I figured, well, five bucks, I, you know... Then it gets it out of the way, you know? Yeah. Rip Hunter, I'm watching you. You were <laughs> green because you thought you could hide. <laughs> so, this... Now I just need to do a shout-out, because this is some other Disney swag I got. But this isn't something I bought. This is something that a friend sent to me. And this shout-out is long overdue, because this should have happened... Back in February, but of course, we didn't have a February episode or a March episode, as it turns out. But a good friend of mine, Mark Kalmbach, sent me... He sent me a little stack here. The first one is Superman Real 2. It's called uh, Superman in the Payday Incident. This is a an old Viewmaster. I wish these had dates on them, but that does not have a date, unfortunately. But this is uh, an old Viewmaster. I'm, I'm going to say probably from the 70s. I definitely remember having this when I was a kid. And you're probably like, well, what does Superman have to do with Disney? Huh? But stick with me here. There's other reels. So there's another reel here of St. Augustine and Alligator Farm, Florida, USA, which is oh just a hoot. This one here, again, there's no dates that I can see on these, but I'm going to guess this is probably 60s or 70s. I'm not really sure. Just one reel on that one. There's another one here that's just a single reel. It's reel two of Wikiwachi, Spring of Live Mermaids, which is, again, just a trip. This one, I don't know what the actual age of the reel is, but the pictures definitely look like something from the 50s or 60s. It looks much older than, uh, than the era on the other ones. Then another single one that is just called Disneyland. It says Disney Favorites, and it's different shots um, from around Disneyland. And I'm not sure what year that one is either. If I had to guess, I would say probably mid to late 60s. But here's the real. This is where I got super excited because I got four packs and these are all complete, meaning that they have all three reels to complete the sets two sets of Disneyland Adventureland. And what's really neat about these is that they have the same name and everything, but they are clearly produced years apart from one another. So while a lot of the same slides are in both sets, they're not the same slides in each set. So you can see kind of the evolution as they drop certain pictures and added in other different pictures to mm -hmm. make the sets distinct as they would evolve over time and the parks evolved over time. So two sets of Adventureland and two sets of Frontierland. And I'm telling you, I was so excited about these because, you know, it's it's one thing to hear stories or even, you know, to see old photographs or something. But the great thing about Viewmasters, and I'm sure that this was the universal appeal of Viewmasters in general, 
was that because they're three-dimensional, it, it's almost like being able to, to see into a window in time because it really feels like you are there because of the three-dimensionality of it. Mm. And these are just beautiful. I, I was so happy with these. And, uh, and I've been trying to collect any Disney parks view masters that I can come across, you know, at a decent price. Cause some of them are rather pricey. So, uh, I mean, this was totally unexpected. This little package just showed up out of the blue with these view masters in it. And, uh, and I just wanted to make sure that I said a big thank you to Mark because I think that's fantastic. Thank you so much. That these are really, amazing. really cool. Yeah. Some great stuff. I have a, I have a couple of the old view master reels because mine came with a few of them. Mm-hmm. And I think my 74 trip to Disney, we may have gotten a Viewmaster set, uh, a real set. Uh, but other than that, 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 I don't have a ton of the Disney stuff uh, on Viewmaster. But now I'm looking at it on eBay now. You got me. Thanks again, Scott. <laughs> You've cost me so much, it's not even funny. I think, I, I could be wrong, but off the top of my head, I think my entire Disney Viewmaster collection, I think it entirely consists of Disneyland, if I'm not mistaken. I don't believe I have any Walt Disney World ones, but there are several Epcot sets that I really, really want to get. And uh, unfortunately, they, they tend to price, you know, rather high, but I'm intent on getting those one day just to, you know, to complete that collection. But, you know, also to, to see a side of Epcot that you know that I never got to see with my own eyes, you know, early Epcot because of ah. course I didn't go to Epcot until it had to. Be, I'm thinking it had to be 2000 or 2001. So I mean, not even, not even in the 20th century technically, you know. So wow, your yeah. first trip to Epcot? Yeah. Wow, we went. I remember going one year for the spring, and it wasn't finished yet. There was a bunch of pardon our dust going on. Right. And that, you know, they weren't open. And then the next year we came back, and I guess that was 83. And I say that it was 83 because, or not the next year we went back, but another year we came back. And uh, I think it was 83 because what I remember is going there for the first time and going, I I just saw this. I was at the World's Fair (laughs) last summer, and I've already seen all this. Uh, Because it was very much... You know, Epcot, as most people know, and a lot of people don't know, a lot of younger people don't know, just because there there really haven't been a lot of regular World's Fairs in the last couple decades. Right. But Epcot is very much modeled on the World's Fair idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's, we had been to the 82 one in Knoxville. So when I got to Epcot for the first time in 83, I went, yeah, it's a really fancy version of the World's Fair. Next. And I really, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I kind of blew it off for a few years because I, that that youthful arrogance of yeah I've seen it I've done it you know and and not really opening my eyes and seeing the wonders that were there, right? Yeah, my uh, well you know our first trip you know as an adult when I got when I got hooked on Disney yeah our first trip was in '99 and we didn't go to Epcot uh, that first trip for whatever reason I I don't remember now why we didn't go I guess just because you know we had a little one with us and uh, and I think a lot of it had to do with uh, with being warned away from Epcot you know that there wouldn't be enough for him to enjoy there but for whatever reason I remember wanting to go and just basically getting outvoted so we didn't go how how old was he? three okay so there was no alcohol for him right (laughs) we had to wait another couple of years (laughs) And so we didn't go to the next trip, which I think was in late, 
if I remember right, I, I want to say it was like October-ish of 2000, I think. Because I seem to remember the, the wand. I know the wand was up, but I think the wand had... Didn't the wand have 2000 and then 2001 and then it just it just went to Epcot after that, right? Actually, I think it went straight from 2000 to Epcot, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. It changed but it. yeah, I, I know that we have pictures in the in the album of the 2000, so I'm thinking that's when we went the first time. Anyway, my, uh, my big standout memory of that first time was the construction walls around Horizons that said something like, you know, watch this space. And it had space was being played up like the important word. And uh, and I can remember seeing the right. building in the background being demolished and everything and not realizing at the time what a big deal that was. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm glad I didn't know because I would have been very upset. But, I, you know, I discovered Horizons, <clears throat> pardon me, completely in, in, uh, in hindsight. I had no idea at the time what it even was. Anyway wanted to talk a little bit here about uh, basically do a trip report segment basically catching you up on what has been happening since our last episode so since that time there's I'd actually uh, surprised myself looking back on it the number of times I've actually been you know just goofing off on property and going to parks and what uh, one thing that's definitely worth mentioning is uh, in January took a trip to Disney Quest at Downtown Disney and met up with uh, my fellow podcaster Dr. Bill Robinson and his son Ben and we went to Disney Quest and you can actually hear a portion of that in No Consoles for Old Men which is a, a show on the Two True Freaks Network in as of this recording I believe it's their latest episode by the time this goes up there may be a new episode out I'm not sure but in their latest episode I believe it is um, you can hear uh, a portion of the recording that Bill and I did while we were actually at Disney Quest. I will just warn you, though, that uh, the language on that show is not entirely family-friendly, so just take that into consideration when you go to listen to that show. Unlike this show that we try to, uh, we try our very best to keep it family-friendly, uh, on most of the other shows on the Two True Freaks feed, not entirely the same way. Uh, also, at Downtown Disney on that trip, uh, you know, one of the spots that uh, that I love to go to, and I know you do as well, Scott, is uh, the D Street store. Yeah. Completely blown away to find Rocketeer merchandise. <laughs> I was just completely blown away by this. They have some Rocketeer. Uh, it's basically, it's two prominent images, one of which is very much done in that... Um, Art Deco. Art Deco, thank you. That's the style. The Art Deco style of the Rocketeer in flight, uh, like like basically flying straight up. And that image is on everything from a, from a T-shirt to a postcard and, and all kinds of different things. And then there's another image that's a, a fully painted image that almost looks like the Rocketeer outside of Luke Skywalker's homestead or something. It's The background is kind of strange. I'm not sure where he's supposed to be, but it's a great image. And is, that one... Is it, I'm not sorry. The, uh, is it not the little puppy dog? Maybe it is, but if it is, then it's it's not showing the entire thing, so it's not making it clear that that's what he's standing in front of. But yeah, now gotcha. that you say that, that may be what it actually is. But yeah, it, it looks like like something made of adobe or something like that in the background it's it's kind of kind of weird but yeah i'll have to look at the image again because now that you say that that may be exactly what he's standing in front of ah. but you just don't see enough of it to to put the uh bulldog image together that one uh, i haven't seen it on a t-shirt or anything but they have it as a print that you can buy that's i think it's 39.95 and then they actually have it as a fully you know like a painting 
um, you know, on canvas and everything. And that one's quite expensive. Um, I forget the exact price on it. So I think it's a couple hundred bucks at least. Unfortunately, that image they have not put on a postcard because I really want that one just on a postcard size image, you know, to, to frame or something. And they have not released it that way, whereas the other one they did. Um, but the other one they do have on T-shirts there that uh, I, I really want to get one one of these days if, uh, if they get them back in because they blew out of them very quickly. Uh, the last time I was there. So also uh, during that month, during uh, January, uh, my family and I, we went to Disney's Hollywood Studios, Disney's Animal Kingdom theme park, and we even played the summer course, which I had never played before, the summer course over at Disney's uh, Winter Summerland Miniature Golf. Oh. Have you been to that one before? Oh, yeah. I have played. Are you kidding me? I love miniature golf. (laughs) <laughs> and I have played winter and summer, and I have played Fantasia, the, uh, what is it called? The Fairways course and the, the uh, oh, good grief. I can't remember the name of both courses at Fantasia Gardens now. Yeah. But uh, I've played there's both the, of those. Yeah, there's Fairways the one course. with the characters and then, like, the challenging course. There, yeah, but, that, yeah, that thing is murder. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's got, like, it's like a, a literally a miniature golf course, mm-hmm. which is really neat to me. But your uh, Summerland's got... Sand castles and all kinds of cool stuff. Oh, I loved it. I yeah. loved it. Well, here's the thing. Um, I, I had tried to get this done before we sat down to record today, and I just kind of ran out of time today. I've got so many things going on. But um, I finally made a decision. I think I want to split earning my ears off from the Two True Freaks proper Facebook group and create our own group. for earning my ears and i so i'm going to do that so probably by the time listeners are hearing this episode that's this is probably already going to be completed and the group will be in existence but i want to do this for a number of reasons for one as i say you know with with the different podcasts that are on the two true freaks not all of them are are produced in a family-friendly format and so i want the the website to reflect or you know the facebook group to reflect the show so i want it to be family-friendly also, I want it to be a place where we can really dump a lot of Disney content. And anybody that knows me, and Scott can vouch for this, I'm sure, I take a lot of pictures when yes. I go into the parks. I, I just, I love to take pictures. So I want a place where people that listen to this show can kind of follow our adventures, as it were, going into the parks by going there and seeing the pictures. And, and I, I want to treat it almost like a news feed where I'll just continue to put up new pictures of new things that I discover all the time when I'm out and about in the parks. Mm-hmm. So I just think having our own separate Facebook group for earning my ears is probably the best route to go. So I'm going to be putting a lot of these pictures up. I took a ton of pictures uh, when we were at Winter Summerland just because I, I enjoy it so much. So I, you know, when I, when the post when the pictures do get posted, you'll basically be able to do a virtual walkthrough <laughs> of Winter Summerland of the summer course because I took so many pictures of the thing. And that's um, that's why I'm so thankful for you, Scott Gardner, because I want a lot of pictures, but I am too busy experiencing things there. To even think about taking pictures. I mean, I don't even think about it half the time. Afterwards, I go, boy, I wish I'd had a picture of that. But I didn't want to stop and slow down and stop doing stuff to to take the picture. So the fact that you do that, and it's funny because my wife gets really amused because she'll kind of look up me and smirk and she'll say, Scott Gardner just posted 210 new pictures. (laughs) Well, let's dive in. 
Well, I do that for for a number of reasons. For one, you know, I I want other people to kind of be able to experience Walt Disney World vicariously through through my pictures. You know, if they can't be there, at least hopefully I can give them a little taste of of being there when they can't be there. But also, I find that, you know, the longer I go, you know, having, having now been there and taking so many pictures, that it all serves as a very nice time capsule because, as you know... The parks change quickly. Yes. We don't think of it that way, you know, because we we go and you know the castle's always there and Haunted Mansion's always there and Peter Pan's always there. So you, you think of it as kind of timeless, but it really isn't. Things come and go so rapidly at Walt Disney World that you know some days you turn around and wow that that that's gone yep. already. And that's, this is going to actually come up as a theme um, in some of the things and some of the experiences here with this trip report. Look at the birdie. Actually, this is a beautiful segue. I didn't even intend it this way. The very first uh, observation uh, on going to the studios, Animal Kingdom, and uh, Winter Summerland back in, uh, I think I said this was in uh, January. Actually, I, that was a misstatement. This was in mid-March. The hat is down. Yeah. Over at, uh, at Hollywood Studios, the hat is now down. Now, when I was there in mid-March, there is still a construction wall around the area where they were working. But the hat itself is now completely down, and you have a beautiful, unimpeded view of Grauman's Chinese Theater, or Man's, however you... Whichever owner of it that you want to assert there. Yeah, it's, it's just beautiful. And uh, it was so nice to finally get a really good picture of that because it, I think it's a beautiful building. It's just a beautiful facade and it really is constructed to be incredibly faithful to the original one and I just I love that. I love being able to see it again to walk into the park and that's the first thing you see down at the end of the street is you know the Chinese theater. I think that's fantastic. Now you know we hadn't been as I said we hadn't been to parks uh, in a bit you know a couple months by the time we went to uh, these parks so I was very anxious to see things I'd heard rumored about you know and heard talked about as far as changes things that have come things that have gone that sort of thing and one of the things I was really excited about was to go on the great movie ride now that they have this new deal going with Turner Classic Movies yeah well. I don't. I, I tend to consider myself fairly observant when it comes to Walt Disney World. I don't know if I'm just missing something, or if this hasn't happened yet, or if it was super subtle or what. But I didn't find any discernible difference in the Great Movie Ride. I don't think it's all kicked in at this point. Because one of the things I understood was that they were going to change up that last film, and you'd know it if they changed up. That yeah, last they did film. not. No, it is exactly the same. So I, I really did not find anything different. What was really funny was. We got the, you know how there's, there are actually two different scenarios that you can get when you ride the great movie ride. Um, oh, sure. Where the ride gets interrupted and someone comes along and they take over the ride vehicle mm-hmm. from the cast member doing the live spiel. Yep. That most frequently happens during the gangster scene. But there is another scenario that you can get where the takeover happens during the Western scene. Yep. Evidently, this had either never happened to my wife before or she didn't remember it because 
it happened during the Western scene this time when we wrote it. And she leaned over to me. She's like, wow, this is brand new. And I'm like, no, dear. No, it's actually not. <laughs> but it, it's funny. I, I, like I say, either she had never experienced it before or she'd forgotten that we had. But uh, I just thought that was really cool because she's right. We we don't get that one very often. Or at least I don't when I write it. It's almost always the gangster scene. Well, the gangster scene is first. So I assume... That if they're running at low capacity, that that would be the one they would do just because it's there. It makes right. sense to do it there and you move on. I, I don't know. I, I guess we have historically gotten the gangster more, but we've certainly, I think last summer we got the cowboy scenario. I didn't remember the fire effects, though. That's what was really, I think that's what impressed her the most was that they actually set that one building on fire during the the western takeover scene and that i i'll admit i didn't remember that yeah except that i that i thought was a very cool effect because it's uh it's a pretty big fire yeah it's a scorcher feel it yeah (laughs) and i know i made you jealous because we got to do toy story midway mania three times in a row that's not mathematically possible because i (laughs) 17 seconds after the park opens there's a three-hour wait right right We had a fast pass uh, for later in the day, but we decided, you know, like everybody does, we made a beeline straight there when the park opened up and we went straight to Toy Story and the wait was minimal. I forget what it was, but the wait was very minimal. So we thought, eh, what the heck? So we went and we got in line and we did it. And then we went back later in the day and we did it with um, with the fast pass that we had. I can't remember off the top of the head, off the top of my head, how we did the third one. Was I think we were just. Fast pass or? Um, it was either another fast pass or the wait time was not that bad. I can't remember which it was now. Oh, I find I, that hard to believe. I think it, I think we may have gotten another fast pass for it later in the day. I forget, but we did end up doing it three times, which is pretty cool. And I was impressed with myself that I got a better score each subsequent time because that thing kills my arm. So yeah. I really expected the score would go down, yep. and it actually went up each time, which. I was very happy with. Excellent. But uh, I am so curious to see what's going to happen with Hollywood Studios because at the moment, it's really strange. The day that we were there, it was very, very busy. But if you know the parks as well as you and I do, then I'm like mentally ticking off in my mind all the things that are closed. Yeah, that's why it and, seems so busy because there's so much that's shut down. There's so yeah. there's a lot less for people to do, a lot fewer places to disperse them. So you would think that that would have a negative impact on attendance, but it doesn't seem to be. That's because they put Frozen over there. Mm. Well, that's a <laughs> pretty smart move. If if that's what it is, then that's a pretty I, smart move. I'll guarantee you it is. I you know throw a plug out for touringplans.com. We use them pretty frequently when we're using when we're planning our trips and this past summer as you know we were at the beach club for nine days mm-hmm. and one of the day we had picked for the studios was a day that was very low on the projected attendance well we got there and it was not that kind of day it right. was bursting at the seams and what had happened was they had recently started the elsa you know the whole elsa frozen thing at the studios and it kind of blew their projections out of the water because they didn't, they didn't have anything to gauge it against. And, uh, we, we had, we went, we scheduled ourselves on a day that was supposed to be a four or a five and it wound up being an eight or a nine. Wow. On a scale of one to 10. And it was, yeah. So when you've got almost twice as many people as you were anticipating, 
you wind up not having the day you thought you were going to have. Right. So, Right. Well, moving a little bit forward in time, uh, the next time I went into a park, uh, back at the beginning of this month, April 3rd, I went to Epcot in the evening, specifically just to go see, uh, as part of the concert series for Epcot's uh, International Flower and Garden Festival, which is funny, we went into the park through the International Gateway, Yes. And I basically put blinders on because I didn't want to spoil myself on the Flower and Garden Festival. So we uh, came in the International Gateway and made a beeline straight to the American Gardens uh, Theater. And I was going to see the orchestra. Now, the orchestra, for anybody that doesn't know, is basically it's ELO, the Electric Light Orchestra, except they can't call themselves that. Because they don't have Jeff Lynn. Jeff Lynn was like the singer, songwriter. He was he essentially Producer. was ELO. Yeah. yeah, he he was the main driving force of ELO back in the day. Well, he's not with them, so they can't call themselves ELO when he's not with them. So they call themselves the orchestra. Anyway, I went to see them and uh, was just blown away. They put on a great show. It was a lot of fun, and I'm I'm really glad that I went. I. Uh, took my youngest boy with me uh logan who uh just uh yesterday turns 15 not really sure what he was gonna think of them because you know i love them but they are they are very rooted in their time they are very you know 70s and 80s and he i think just by the nature of the show that they produce the show that they put on and the music you know the music is very catchy yeah. He, uh, I, I found him getting into it. He, he seemed to dig it quite a bit. So that was a lot of fun. And uh, again, I'll be putting some pictures up uh, in our Facebook group for that as well. And uh, I actually recorded a bit of their performance, so I'll throw some of that under us as a as a bed oh, <laughs> when I when I produce this as well. So on the uh, 16th of this month, uh, my wife and I uh, we went to Magic Kingdom. We uh, had a little two day uh, getaway where we decided to, uh, you know, I, I'm on vacation all this week, well-deserved vacation. Yes. And so we decided to uh, to go stay on property for a couple of nights, and we stayed at Disney's Coronado Springs Resort. Now, what's funny was we initially booked Coronado Springs, and then she switched it to uh, Port Orleans French Quarter, and then I was like, huh? So she switched it back. So we ended up switching it back and forth a couple of times. Uh, but eventually we did go with uh, with Coronado Springs. I mean, now, I love them did both. You, why did you, uh? Well, but we had just been there was the only thing. I, I love them both. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm, I'm not in any way disparaging uh, uh, Port Orleans because I, I love both sides of, of Port Orleans. I, I love all the moderate resorts. But we had just been there um, for our anniversary back in October, and we hadn't been to Coronado Springs in probably a couple of years, and I was really looking forward to it. So uh, so we stayed for a couple of nights at Coronado Springs and went to Magic Kingdom on the 16th. Now, we had not been to Magic Kingdom in a good number of months because... For some reason, I'm not really sure. We've had a, a crazy amount of blockout dates lately um, on our cast member passes. So I don't generally get blocked out personally as a cast member. I mean, that doesn't happen very often. But when our when our passes get blocked out, it means I can't take anybody with me. Yeah. And I think we've discussed this before, but the novelty of being able to go into the parks by yourself, for me, wore off very quickly. It was fun for a while. But Walt Disney World to me is a shared experience. I want to share it with my friends and my loved ones. And so 
I find that I don't often go by myself if I if I can't go with somebody. So it's just it's been a crazy long time since we've been to Magic Kingdom. So we went and we spent the day there, and it was really nice because believe it or not, it wasn't that busy. I was really surprised because I know how busy we have been uh, recently when I you know working up to this vacation. So anyway, a couple of quick uh, observations about Magic Kingdom. Now, I don't know if you saw the the post that I put on Facebook recently. I was telling a little story, and I think I've told this story on the show, uh, about the log cabin, uh, the one that they used to set on fire over on Tom Sawyer Island. Well, we were, let me think, how did I see this? Oh, we were riding the Walt Disney World Railroad from Frontierland to Storybook Circus because uh, we had some, uh, we had a dinner reservation over in that area. So as we're riding the, the train around the park, and this was just after dusk, so you know the park is just starting to get dark and everything. Hold up. There's a- Hold up. Dinner reservation in that area. Did you eat it? Be our guest? Oh, yes, we did. Okay. All right. Well, I'll, <laughs> let you, I'll let you work your way around to that. <laughs> you just figured it out. As you're riding the train around that area, you know, you go past the scene with the old man fishing and there's the Indian village and all that sort of thing. There's a nice little clearing at one point where you can see out of the right side of the forward motion of the train, you can see through the clearing and clear over to Tom Sawyer Island and you get a really good look at the log cabin that sits over there. Now, for anybody that doesn't know what I'm talking about, the, the post that I'm referring to on Facebook, this was uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was telling the story about when I went to, to Walt Disney World as, a, as an adult and uh, and saw the burning log cabin and had a, a very emotional re- response to that because I remembered having seen it as a child. I just didn't know where I had ever seen it. Well, if you don't know, they no longer set the log cabin on fire. And that's one of those lost things of Walt Disney World that I have greatly lamented is that they, they don't do that anymore. Captain, there's trouble off starboard deck. Settlers' cabins are playing. Deck watch, stand alert. Aye, aye, sir. Crew, stand ready. So here we are, we're on the train, we're riding around at night. We look across that clearing at the log cabin and the log cabin was on fire. But here's the thing, it wasn't really on fire, if you know what I mean. It was using the same glow effects that they use in Pirates of the Caribbean to make it appear that it was on fire. And they did have uh, smoke billowing out of it, which was, you know, just added to the effect, made it very, very convincing. This is something that you wouldn't notice unless you saw it at night. So much like Big Thunder Mountain, I think is that much better at night because there's more effects that you can see that you can't see during the day. Same thing with the log cabin on Tom Sawyer Island at night you can actually see that yes, it is on fire. And I just, I love that. I thought that was really, really cool. Uh, the diamond horseshoe was open, but it was weird. It was open and there were cast members like behind the counter and everything, but it was like they were, I'm not sure what they were doing. It was almost like they were just serving soda or something. No sandwiches? Maybe sandwiches, but I didn't see anybody eating anything. There was there was huh. almost nobody in the place. Usually, when they're opening, it was it's it's interesting for a couple of reasons. One, you said there weren't that many people there. Usually, they only open Diamond Horseshoe when there are a lot of people in the park and they mm-hmm. need somewhere for them to go, and they usually wind up serving sandwiches and beverages. It was weird because I saw people get beverages, but I didn't see anybody actually eating anything. 
So when I first, have you ever gone to try to walk into a place? Like, I know this happened to me at uh, Liberty Tree Tavern. You go to walk into a place just to explore, to take pictures, and they kind of, you know, politely ask you to beat feet. Yeah. That happened to me at, uh, at Liberty Tree. And so I'm always kind of leery to just walk right in, you know, yeah. intending to just look around. So I saw the doors were standing open and I kind of, you know, kind of like gingerly made my way inside. And when nobody challenged me or anything, I thought, well, okay, well, I guess it must be open. So we immediately went upstairs because I'd never really been in Diamond Horseshoe before. I mean, I, the one time I was ever in there, there was a dance party going on. So a very different atmosphere and it was crazy yeah. loud and full of people. This was empty. So I went, we went straight up the balcony and, and my wife desperately needed to just take a load off for a while. So she sat in a corner and just chilled out and checked Facebook or whatever. I went crazy taking pictures. So again, <laughs> I'll be dumping all of these on Facebook later. But I, I took about a million pictures inside Diamond Horseshoe because I'd never really been in there before. So I thought that was really neat. Now, something I didn't notice myself, and I really wish she had pointed out to me, my wife later told me that Aunt Polly's was open. Yes, I've read that. I wish I'd known about that, because if I'd have known about it, we definitely would have taken a trip over to Tom Sawyer that day, And but I, I didn't know. I didn't learn about I can't even remember how it came up in conversation, but she mentioned to me, hey, by the way, did you know that place was open? I'm like, no, why didn't you say something? But uh, apparently they are open and again serving, uh, I believe it's peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So I think that's great. I think that's fantastic. Now, probably they're serving Uncrustables, wouldn't you think? Probably. Yeah. yeah. But that's fine by me. I like those things. Oh, yeah, they're fine. They're wonderful. But uh, yeah, I, I, I read that Polly's was open, but it was, again, it was only a limited time thing, mm-hmm. which is obviously one of the themes we're going to be encountering throughout the Definitely. program. Today. Definitely. So as I say, we made our way uh, around the uh, Walt Disney World Railroad over to um, Storybook Circus because we had dining reservations. Dining reservations were at be our guest. Now, we had been there before for lunch, but we had never been there for dinner before. Oh, different experience. Oh, different experience. God. It was wonderful. It was so nice. I mean, everything was, was just perfect. And this was really nice for us because this was, although we did get a, a getaway and a little stay at, at Walt Disney World for our anniversary, there were things going on at the time to where we just didn't get the full experience out of it. Nothing Disney related, to, you know, all in, our, all in our personal lives. So this was almost kind of a, like our makeup for our anniversary trip and just went so much better. And uh, this Be Our Guest experience was just fantastic because my wife is a huge Beauty and the Beast fan and we'd always wanted to go and do dinner there. So we did and uh, they just they pulled out all the stops for us. It was fantastic. Where did you sit? We were all the way at... So, so essentially when you walk into the ballroom, if you take like an immediate right and just sit right up against the wall, that's where we were. And what was funny was when the when he brought us in, he actually walked us completely around the restaurant. So we came in, we went into the the music box room and walked around there, and then he walked us through the front of the ballroom. We went by the front. We didn't go in, but we went by the front of the West Wing, and then he went and seated us. So he could have taken like two seconds and been like, here's your seat. You know, and, yeah. and just sat us up. But instead, he walked us through the entire thing. So we got, you know, the, the whole experience before sitting down. And when we first sat down, I thought, oh, this is lousy seats, you know, because it's all the way at the back of everything. But as it turned out, they're probably the best seat, honestly, because then you can see everything. Because mm-hmm. when Beast comes out and they did the little presentations, I mean, we had like the perfect seats for taking pictures and stuff. So it was, it was actually really nice. I liked it a lot. And, um, 
I do not remember what my wife got, but I got this thing that I ordered it, but I was very leery ordering because part of it sounded delicious, and then there was part of it that was like, I don't know about that. But essentially, it was um, shrimp scampi and scallops, and it said something about in a light, fluffy pastry. And I thought... That's either going to be really great or nasty, because pastry to me is like I think of like like a donut or, or you <laughs> know something pop tarts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something exactly. Yeah, like a like a toaster strudel or something. Yeah. You know, and what it was is it's essentially it was a French version of a pot pie, but a pot pie full of seafood. Oh my lord, it was awesome. The best scallops I've ever had in my life. I mean, you didn't even have to chew them. They just melted in your mouth. It was, oh, it was just delicious. I'm making myself hungry just talking about it. But so, so good. I'll tell you, when you go back, you really need to weasel your way into dinner at the West Wing. Now, see, that's where we had lunch. Because like I said, we'd only ever been there one time. Uh, we had lunch and we had lunch in, uh, in the West Wing. And I loved that because... You know, again, I, I'm always afraid this sounds very braggerish, but I've actually stood in the ballroom at the Haunted Mansion. And for for everyone else that ever wants an experience like that, that's as close as you're likely to ever get is the West Wing. The West Wing, to me, completely takes me back to the ballroom at the Haunted Mansion. It has very much the same feel. You've got the, the torn up, kind of rotted looking tapestries and banners and things all over the place it's very dark it's very creepy and there's a lot of lightning effects and things and it's yep. it to me even though it's clearly beauty and the beast theme really captures that feel of the haunted mansion and I, and I love it i mean it's as close as you'll ever get to dining in the haunted mansion it's it's pretty neat yeah we uh we when they first opened the lines for reservations i knew we were going in early december for our anniversary and i wanted to get be our guest for our anniversary dinner and I wanted to make sure we got in the West Wing and I spent I would tell you three hours on the phone trying to get through when they opened up reservations mm-hmm. uh, let me give you a certified 100% Disney tip that will help out those of you who are DVC members I called the regular dining line over and over and over again could not get through for many hours till my phone was almost dead and then I was looking on a message board and somebody said they were calling the DVC information center and the member services center and that's what i wound up doing and got right through and they made a they can make dining reservations for dvc members you have to give them your number so every schmo can't do that but for dvc members you can make your reservations you don't have to go through wdw dine you can go through uh the the member information center See, I think that's nice. I like that there are some really good perks out there for DVC members because I think that's as it should be. I think that when you have these certain levels and these certain memberships, you know, be it a, an annual pass holder or whatever, I, I think there should be uh, substan- substantial perks, you know, for being at those levels. So that's great. I think that's. Yeah. I did not know about that. I think that's great. Yeah, and we got through. We got the got the reservation. Uh, we had our anniversary dinner. We, I made sure to beg them. You know, I told them over and over again it was our anniversary, so they got the hint. Uh, I begged them for the West Wing, and we told them we'd be willing to wait for it. We got the West Wing. Uh, it is an amazing dining experience. And at the end, because it was our anniversary, they brought out a plate 
of the gray stuff. That's one of the things that my wife specifically wanted to do this time was try the gray stuff. So it's yeah, delicious. We, we did, it is delicious. It really is. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was really good. I liked it. Do you know? You know what it is? Uh, oh, she nailed it right off the bat. Now I'm trying to remember what she said that it. I. I no, tell me because I can't remember. It is a cookies and cream flavored mousse. Mmm. I don't think that's what she said that she thought it was, though. That's funny. She said, I can't remember what she said she thought it tasted like. It's, it's quite good. Oh, yeah, it was delicious. I really, really liked it. But, oh, so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> it was very sweet. So while we were uh, eating dinner at uh, Be Our Guest, it actually downpoured pretty uh, significantly outside. So we came out to a virtually empty park, which was really nice. Woohoo! And uh, we had a, a fast pass for wishes now i've never done fast pass for a parade or fireworks before and we kind of did it honestly just as an experiment i was just curious how it worked well the the construction on the hub still continues but most of it's done and they've opened up really it's much more like a park now like a like say like a city park like a classic city park yeah right there in the hub area so there's a lot more green spaces and it's you know so there's like lawn spaces spaces essentially where you could just you know park yourself on the lawn and and watch the show now because it had just rained we didn't sit down but it was so nice i mean they actually have a really nice uh viewing area for those that have fast passes for uh for the fireworks so that was really nice. Um, I, I'm really impressed with uh, with what they've done with the hub. I really was not sure about that when I heard that announced. I'm like, you know, I, I love the hub the way it is. Why you got to mess with it? You know, I oh yeah. I, I try not to have that that knee jerk, you know, Disney fan reaction that I think a lot of us do. Of yeah, but, you know, but, change is bad. But yeah, but sometimes you're so attached to something you don't want it to be any different. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, even even if ultimately sometimes these things wind up being a plus. Sometimes they wind up being a great positive change. But still, the initial reaction is this is perfect as it is. Why mess with it? Right. Right. But no, this this is really nice. It it, it really does open up the hub area and, and make it just more of that feel that I think Walt was going for of of you know the the small american town of his youth because that area now because of these green patches and, and these little like almost like picnic lawn areas reminds me of the small town i grew up in so i, I like that it, it's actually working very nicely now it's not finished yet so it'll be very you know i'm very curious to see what it's going to look like when it's all done because the thing that's not there at the moment or at least not visible at the moment is the partner statue so that makes me nervous when i go to the hub and i can't see walt you know that that upsets me so sure. I'm, I'm ready for that to be finished and and finalized and see what that's all going to look like when it's all said and done but so far yeah I'm, I'm liking it well good because the rain had cleared things out so nicely uh we actually pretty much walked right on to the seven dwarfs mine train believe it oh, or not man yeah that doesn't happen and i mean it was not a it was not a complete walk on the, the total weight was maybe a half an hour but still i mean for the mine train that was pretty darn good yes it is and uh i made a really nice discovery i don't know how long this has been around but i saw it and i was just like oh my god i gotta have one of these 
they have Seven Dwarfs Mine Train popcorn buckets. Have you seen this? Yes, yes. Oh, I've got to have of them. Oh, that looks so cool. I've got to get one. <laughs> well, it's funny is, you know, the, the popcorn carts had all shut down because of the of the weather. You know, it was a threat of, you know, the, well, not just the rain, but the, the threat of the lightning and all. So they all shut down. So I just saw it sitting, you know, just abandoned on a, on a popcorn cart. So I wasn't able to get one. But uh, as soon as I get a chance, I'm going to definitely get that. So like I say, we were on, on this stay at Coronado Springs, and uh, this was kind of our trip to both do some new things we'd never done before, but also some things that we hadn't done in a long, long time. And one of the things that we had never done that we've always talked about doing that we decided, you know what, let's go check that out. We went to Splitsville at Downtown Disney. Have you ever been there? Oh, yes, yeah, several times. I've been there just for meals and for bowling and for bowling and meals. <laughs> now, what did you think of it? I, I have a lot of fun with it. I mean, I don't think the food is particularly remarkable, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's bad, and I love the ambiance of the place. I, I was really impressed with it. I thought it was a lot of fun. I've been by it a million times, had never set foot in the place, and uh, we had a blast. It was a lot of fun. It's, uh, it, you know, it's just it's a classic bowling alley that's uh, spread over two levels, and I just thought it was a lot of fun. I can't really speak to the food. Uh, Missy ordered a... Um, personal pan pizza that we kind of split between the two of us it was good yeah. for you know for just a you know oh it's what, fine yeah think park pepperoni pizza but yeah it was it was a lot of fun the thing that's got me really excited though is as we were walking towards splitsville there's a new store that's coming in at downtown disney that is just two doors down from the d street store and it's called superhero headquarters now i had heard this announced sometime i actually had heard it rumored quite a long time ago and then it was officially announced a short time ago but because of the name and it didn't contain marvel in it i really wasn't sure what to expect what it was going to be well now they have images in the window you know it's it's clearly meant to block your view of what's going on inside while they do their construction work and everything but all the images on the you know all the artwork on the windows and everything is all clearly modern uh modern marvel comic stuff with uh, a lot of imagery of the Guardians of the Galaxy, of the Avengers. Spider-Man 2099 was on there, which I thought was really cool. Ah. So this is clearly going to be a, a Marvel Comics store. And man, I'm so excited about this. This looks like it's really going to be great. Because the D Street store... Uh, has long been one of those places I always go to when I go to downtown Disney because they always have great Star Wars stuff in there. Yeah. But slowly out over the past year or so, they've actually built quite a large Marvel presence in there as well. So now, essentially, it looks like that Marvel presence is just spinning off into its own retail location. So I think that's pretty awesome. And uh, while we were wandering around at Downtown Disney, we wandered by the pin trading station that's over across from Once Upon a Toy. And I was startled to see the Lego Hulk from the Lego store was standing in the middle of the of the pin trading store. And I thought, that's very weird. Why is that? And then it suddenly occurred to me, they must have some Marvel stuff in here. So I look behind the Hulk, and sure enough, there is now an entire line of Disney Marvel pins. And that's pretty cool, man. You're seeing that stuff. You know, it's it's slowly coming in. It's encroaching, which I just, I, it's great. More and more Marvel all the time in the parks. Yeah. I, I love it. 
and uh, we spy. I, I just saw it on a glimpse, so I didn't get a chance to, to snap a picture of it or anything. But one of the Disney, bu- at least one of the Disney buses, uh, has a uh, a full wrap on it for Avengers: Age of Ultron. Nice. So if you if you go on Google and do a search for it, there are some uh, some images out there where people have snapped pictures of it. But I've been trying to find like an official like press release or something where it gets some really good clear images of it, and I haven't seen that yet. But some people have managed to snap just like quick pictures of it. But <laughs> that was pretty cool. And uh, I meant to ask you now: Have you ever stayed at Coronado? Because you said you hadn't. I thought no. you said you had never been to. No, that's one of the very few we have never stayed at, and there are literally a very few of them. But uh, that one, Pop, and Art of Animation are really, I guess, All Star Sports. But we've stayed at the other two All Stars, so it's it's kind of like we've stayed at All Star Sports. But right. um, otherwise, no. That's that's about it. Well, we had stayed there before. I think just one time before that I can remember. Uh, we stayed there before, and of course, I've been to the resort a number of times. I actually worked there once uh, for a week. Uh, Disney cast members also often get sent on something called deployment, where, which is where you are sent as needed to other locations that work in your same line of business if they uh, if they just need assistance, essentially. And it's meant to kind of broaden your horizons a little bit, to kind of see, you know, how do other locations that do essentially the same job, you know, how do they do it kind of thing. And uh, most cast members, if you work for you know any sig- significant amount of time with the company, most cast members get deployed at least one time, you know, during their career. And uh, this was a couple of years ago I got deployed to, to Coronado uh, for a week, and I really enjoyed it. It was a, a very different experience from, you know, the, from the resort that I'm used to working at. So I felt like I knew the resort very, very well. Well, on the, on the day of our checkout, for some reason, despite the fact that we were out crazy late the night before, I woke up ridiculously early in the morning and could not fall back asleep. So I got up. And it was right at dawn. And so I just got up and I grabbed my camera and I went out and I just, you know, as I I want to do, I just went on picture safari. And I just decided I was going to walk the perimeter of the resort. Now, anybody that's ever been to Coronado knows Coronado's huge. And I had done this before when we stayed there, but I realized looking at the map that I had walked essentially the inner perimeter of the resort. I'd never walked the outer perimeter of the resort. And there really is two very distinct circles. One of which, the one I had walked before, essentially cuts off an entire section at the back of the resort, which is, it's, it's divided into three different types of rooms. You've got the casitos, which is where we stayed. You've got the, now I want to say bungalows, and I know that's not right, but it's kind of like that. And then you've got the ranchos, which is at the back of the, the resort. So as I did this walkthrough, I found myself back in the ranchos area and realized I've never seen this before and it's beautiful. So now, as soon as I got back, I told my wife, I said, we've got to come stay here again because we've got to stay specifically in this one section the next time. And she had no idea what I was talking about. So I took her back there to show it to her. And she said the same, this is gorgeous. So it's essentially, imagine this, Scott, imagine Disney's wilderness lodge with a Spanish bent to it. Ah. And that's essentially what it is. It's beautiful. It's like taking 
Wilderness Lodge from this Northwest American setting and placing it in a Southwest American setting, you know, like the Nevada desert or something. And it was, it's gorgeous. I couldn't believe how beautiful it was. And I'd never seen it. I'd never seen pictures or really even heard it. I heard it mentioned before. Mm -hmm. And for it all being the same resort, those three sections have a very different feel to them. And uh, and I just fell in love with it. So I, we've got to go stay again as soon as uh, as soon as we can swing it. I've got to go see that. Excellent. So just this past weekend, uh, we went on the 19th for uh, my son Logan's birthday. He turned 15, as I said. And we took him to Epcot because he had specifically requested for his birthday dinner to go to the Garden Grill uh, at the Land Pavilion because we're in love with the Garden Grill. We all, all three of us love that place. So we went there, and uh, right now the uh, 22nd annual uh, Epcot International Flower and Garden Festival is going on. So we were checking that out and taking a lot of pictures. And Logan surprises me. He uh, he just the the things that he finds fascinating and interesting in the Disney parks always kind of surprise me because he he just for his age, I, I think he has a, a kind of an enlightened view of the parks he, he tends to see them very differently than i think other kids his age kind of see them because he's not really focused on like thrill rides or, or just different aspects that you would think a teenager was he's much more studious in the way that he looks at the disney parks and one of his favorite things to do whenever we go to epcot is he always likes to go to the vision house which just surprises me you know because that's one of those things i'd be surprised if most people even know what the Vision House is. He better enjoy it while he can. Yeah, well, that was the thing. So we, we went, and as we were getting in line for it, I told him, I said, hey, by the way, you know, I heard that this was closing down pretty soon. And the cast member that was there just happened to overhear me. He says, yeah, he goes, two days. Wow. So, yeah, we were on, I mean, by the time folks are hearing this episode, Vision House, unfortunately, that's, you know, that's it. However... After going through the tour, I struck up a conversation with our tour guide, very, very nice guy. His name was Bob, an older fella. He was superb cast member. And he had mentioned that, yes, it's going away, but so far as he's aware, in its current incarnation. So that part of Interventions has a rather large footprint. So he said, you know, he couldn't confirm, deny, you know, it's all rumors for, so far as he's aware. But he said he was hoping that what they might do is go back to the way it kind of used to be before it was Vision House, which was much more of a house of the future yes. type of thing, bringing in more of, of projective technology rather than technology. You know, because the Vision House as it is right now is very much like you can go out and get this product to make your house better whereas the the house of the future is more like one day your house might do this yes so i agree with him if if that's the direction that they're gonna go that would be fantastic because that's more of how i i want to see epcot anyway as more of a projection of the future rather than showing me the future that exists at the moment kind of thing yep so i have a question for you yes sir when was the last time that you went on Ellen's Energy Adventure? Oh, it's been quite some time for a couple of reasons. One is that it's about 45 minutes long. Right. And uh, we've just had other things to do. I would say we have been on it in the last 10 years, but that's probably not the most optimistic thing to say. 
um, it, I would say probably around 07. Okay, so this uh, this might be a bit of a spoiler for you, and if it is, uh, I do apologize. Despite being one of my favorite attractions, I treat Ellen much the same way as I treat, say, Carousel of Progress. I love it, but I don't go on it all the time because it is a serious commitment of time. As you say, Ellen's about 45 minutes. Yeah, it's a long, long It it is a very long attraction. So I knew I had not been on it in a while, but I guess I didn't realize just how long it has been since I'd been on it. So we're riding it, and you get to the scene with the actual dinosaurs. We're going through that scene, and you come around the corner, and up on the right, up on the cliff, you've got the, I think it's a T-Rex or whatever, battling the Stegosaurus and all that. Come around further around the corner, and there's a show scene off to the left where it's a bunch of uh, pterodactyls. Uh-huh. And there's a pterodactyl that sits up on your right over your head that's kind of cawing at them, and they're communicating back and forth. You go further than that, you go through the flashy tunnel, and then you go into the uh, KNRG where it's giving you the news stories and everything. And as we're making our transition into that, I realized, wait a minute, where's Ellen? There's that scene of Ellen battling the giant snake-like dinosaur. Uh-huh. It's gone. Ellen's no longer in Ellen's Energy Adventure. I mean, what I mean by that is the Ellen animatronic that fights the the dinosaur is gone. And I was completely blown away by this. So after the ride was all over and everything, I I talked to one of the cast members in there and I said, uh, I said, you know, it's been a while since I've ridden this. When did Ellen go away? And he goes, dude, he's like, that's been a couple of years. And I, it really floored me like, wow, has it really been that long since I had ridden Ellen's Energy Adventure? And apparently it has because she's been gone, according to him, a couple of years. I had no idea. I, uh, you know, you know me, I, I consider myself really up on the parks and the goings on and the things that happen. I had no idea that Ellen had been uh had been taken out of Ellen's energy adventure. So huh. now there's a line of dialogue in the narrative that makes absolutely no sense because after that scene, when you resume the movie portion of the ride, she says to Bill Nye, you know, it's not like I don't like getting attacked by a, a snake-like creature. Well, that never happens now. So that line doesn't really make any sense. So, yeah, I was, I was, Although I, I've got to say... That that animatronic of Ellen looked a lot more like Harpo Marx than it did Ellen. <laughs> so I, this, this is true. Yeah, it, it may be one of those things where they were negotiating. Can we continue to use you in this attraction? And she went, "Yeah, if you get rid of the Harpo Marx animatronic." Well, what the cast member told me, and again, I, you know, I don't want this to sound disparaging because I love my my fellow cast members, and and, and I, I I don't like it when people say ugly things about our cast members because I think our cast members are are fantastic, but. A lot of times you have to take the things, especially when it comes to rumors and such, you have to take that stuff with a grain of salt. But anyway, this is what the cast member told me when I asked him about it. He said it had something to do with the contracts um, that Disney had with Ellen for the attraction, that essentially when the contract was up, part of the condition was that they could keep her in the movie portion of it, in the title of the thing and everything, but the animatronic had to go away. Well, now, there's, there's got to be more to it than that. Yeah, though, you would think that that doesn't quite wash, but that's what that's what the guy said. Yeah, that doesn't a hundred percent make sense, unless yeah. it, unless there was a financial 
you know, unless they said, well, we have to pay you for your likeness if you're an animatronic. Therefore, we're not going to pay for the animatronic likeness or something. Uh, right. Because otherwise, there would be nothing in the contract that would just say, oh, arbitrarily, you can't have an animatronic, but you can use the movie with her. And that right. doesn't make any sense. Well, the thing that really baffled me about it was, okay, I can see taking Ellen out of it. But why take the snake-like dinosaur away? Because that snake-like dinosaur was part of the original universe of energy. Yeah, well, what's there now? It's just some pterodactyl. It's like smaller, I don't know if they're supposed to be babies or what, but it's it's basically, it it looks like the younglings of the big one that's above your head as you go into the dark tunnel. And they're they're like cawing at each other back and forth. They, They sound like crows. And that's all that's there now. Whereas before, it was Ellen battling the thing. And then before the Ellen version of Universe of Energy, that snake-like dinosaur was always there. That was always part of the attraction. So I can see maybe getting rid of her for whatever reason they had to get rid of her, whether she was too expensive to upkeep or it really is contractual or whatever. I can see getting rid of her, but why get rid of the dinosaur? That's the part that really, really confused me in the whole thing. They should license Ringo Starr and put him there. <laughs> From Caveman? As Caveman, yeah. That would be great. As, uh, oh, what was Atuk. Was that his name? Yeah. God, it's been <laughs> so long since I've seen that movie. Oh, my Lord. Well, as I said, the whole reason that we went to uh, to Epcot that day was, uh, was, of course, for Logan's dinner at Garden Grill, which was fantastic, as, as Garden Grill always is. But the other great big place. reason that I wanted to go to Epcot that day was just a, a, a day or two prior, they had officially opened. There's a, a new attraction in Epcot right now. I'm not sure how long it's going to last for, probably a month or so, because it, it's kind of timely. But Captain EO, the revival of Captain EO that you know came back to Epcot uh, after the death of Michael Jackson has finally been retired. So that one is gone and taking its place in that spot is a preview. And it's a preview for the upcoming movie Tomorrowland. So we went to that and I, of course, naturally am very excited for this. I didn't realize just how excited my family was for it as well. So we went to it, and you go into the Magic Eye Theater, you know, where EO was and where not too long ago uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience was, and there's a lot of imagery up on the walls, uh, conceptual art and such, from the film itself. You go into the pre-show area where they used to play True Colors, Uh and now it's a pre-show. And showing a lot of concept art from the film, but concept art of the world of Tomorrowland. Beautiful stuff. And I said to my wife while we were watching this, because we got there about, there was about 15 minutes left to go. And it does a countdown. It says the future starts in and there's a countdown clock that's counting down you know, to zero. So we got in there with about 15 minutes to go. And as these images were coming up, I, I told my wife, I said, you know, if they come out with one of those big hardcover art of books have you seen these around disney they usually have them over in the magic of disney animation in the studios they get these art of books and they have like art of wreck it ralph or art of uh up or something like that and they're they're these big thick usually very expensive books and i tend to kind of turn a blind eye toward them only because they are so expensive i would love to own them but they're always so expensive but I told her, I said, if they do an Art of Tomorrowland book, 
I'm going to have to own it, you know, because it's just gorgeous. If you ever saw any of the the concept art that was done for Alderaan for Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, it looks a lot like that. I mean, a lot like it. I wouldn't be surprised if it's not the same artist. And then interspersed between these concept art pieces, they kept coming in with little interviews with Brad Bird and uh, Damon Lindelof talking about the film. And every time they did one of those, it just got me more excited about the movie because everything that they were saying was just hitting that Disney sweet spot for me. Talking about things that I've talked about myself, particularly on, say, like Star Trek Monthly Monday, talking about why are there not positive visions of the future anymore? You know, why yeah. why is everything so dark? And you know, why doesn't anybody look at the future as hopeful and wonderful and optimistic like a great big beautiful tomorrow like Walt Disney did? And that kind of seems like that's the message that these guys are trying to get across so then we go in and the the actual preview started and i'm not sure how much i should go into that because i don't want people to be spoiled on the movie because to a certain degree i really do think that this preview was very spoilerific but let me just put it this way i'm going to tease you with this imagine a cross between the new york world's fair you know, the 64 yeah. World's Fair, the, the Disney part of it, Walt's Epcot film, and The Rocketeer. And that's essentially what this preview felt like. And I was just completely blown away by it. I mean, to a degree where I was like Star Wars nine years old going, "Why? I can't believe I'm seeing this. I mean, it was that level of, of just completely blowing me away. My wife... You know, as soon as it was over, my wife just leaned over. She's like, "You need to calm down because you're getting way too excited about this." You know, she so she's nervous that I'm going to get too excited and then it won't be that great. But just based on what I've seen, it looks incredible. I'm going to tell you the first couple of trailers didn't do a lot for me, and then that Japanese one really, really mm-hmm. spoke to me. And I don't know if you know this or not, but another one dropped today. I saw it earlier today. Uh, yeah. uh, 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 one of my leaders at work that I'm friends with on Facebook put a post up of it, and I watched it. Here's the thing, and this is what's really confusing me about this movie, is the marketing campaign. I'm worried that this movie is going to come out and be great and not find its audience. I really worry that this could suffer badly from John Carter syndrome. Yeah. Because the marketing is very odd. That new trailer, while it's exciting, essentially looks like just another science fiction movie. Well, it's, Whereas, it's got all the action beats. It's a very, what, you know what I said when I saw it? I saw, I said, that's a very American trailer. Yes. Uh, because it is, it, basically what it does is action and suspense beat after action and suspense beat. Yes. And I don't know that it really conveys the wonder that was in the Japanese trailer. Or the preview. Yeah, because this preview and the Japanese trailer are unashamedly Disney parks. It's giving that that sense of wonder that you get if you know either when you fall in love with the parks or if you are in love with the parks. Th- this is what confuses me about the marketing strategy is that to me 
And of course, this is easy for me to say. I'm a huge Disney Parks fan, but to me, the selling point of this movie should be the tie-in to the parks. The fact that this is going to tie into It's a Small World, to the 64 World's Fair, to Walt Disney the Person, to the Carousel of Progress, to Epcot, to all of these quintessential Disney Parks things that fans have just dreamed about for years that to me is the selling point of this movie and that's not what's being played up in the trailers the trailers while exciting kind of look like just another science fiction action movie and that's really not what i gathered from the preview at all what i gathered from the preview is that much like say saving mr banks felt like that was made for disney fans This is very much what Tomorrowland feels like. It very much feels almost kind of like in-house, if you know what I mean. Like Almost like it's not even intended for a mass audience. It's just intended for Disney fans. (laughs) And that's what I love about it. I mean, it's really speaking right to me as a fan of, of Disney parks and a fan of Walt Disney, you know, the man, his vision of the future. And... If it works, I think that's what's going to work about it. But it just worries me that it may not find its audience because it's not selling it properly. I, I don't know. It's it's a really weird thing. It's a very unknown quantity, that movie, right now, to a lot of people. It was to me until I saw the Japanese trailer. Because mm-hmm. uh, I kept thinking, there's got to be a Parks connection. There's got to be a Parks connection. And I didn't see it until I saw that gorgeous reproduction of the 64 World's Fair in the Japanese trailer. Uh, and then, I, then it, you know, and then of course the the reproduction of the original, it's a small world at the same time. So that really started setting it on the right path for me. But I, I don't think a lot of people get that yet, and they may just feel that they're limiting their audience in appealing to the Disney Park people. But come on, it's the most visited theme park in the world, and there's a reason for that. Right. So I don't I don't know why they would be ashamed of that or, or hide that or try to keep that out of this mix. And maybe they feel Walt Disney isn't cool summer popcorn movie enough. I don't know. I'm wondering if maybe they feel like people aren't up enough on it to understand the connections and everything, which is very possible. You know, uh, as much as you and I are immersed in the history and, and you know, we know so much of the backstory... You know, the the average person that's not a Disney fan or has maybe never been to Walt Disney World or Epcot or maybe they they don't know that much about the history of it. So maybe that's why they're kind of downplaying it. I I really don't know. It's 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 such a mystery to me. But I mean, I was just blown away by the preview. It, It looks amazing. The special effects are top-notch. The story looks like it's it's going to be really great. But also, like I say, you know, if, if you are a Disney Parks fan, if if you're an Epcot fan, you know, if you're a fan of, of any of the uh, attractions that are tied into this movie, like Carousel of Progress or, or It's a Small World, I, I just, I think you owe it to yourself to go see this when it comes out because it, it looks like it's just made for us. And I mean, I was already sold on this whole concept to begin with, but the the trailer star, or the uh, excuse me, the preview starts, and this little boy, you know, the the boy that you saw in the Japanese uh, trailer, is getting off a bus at Flushing Meadows for the World's Fair, 
and he walks into the plaza and in way off in the distance you can see the unisphere and the entire time it's playing the rex allen version of there's a great big beautiful tomorrow and you know that's i mean that's my favorite song so i mean it's just it's hitting all those buttons for me i'm like oh my god it's the it's the unit and i'm just freaking out my wife's like calm down calm down you're gonna be all right you know but yeah i'm just i'm so jazzed for this so i i I can't wait for it to hit i really can't i would like it if if we could finagle a way for you and i to go see it together i think that uh that would be a lot of fun if if that could possibly happen i I know you guys are on a tight window when you come down here but i think that could be a lot of fun what's the release date on that thing the 22nd may 22nd okay so the week before we come up there yeah okay i'll see what we can do (laughs) you never know so that discussion leads us in a couple possible places, sir. I'll let you pick the direction that much, much like one of those choose your own adventure books. I'll <laughs> let you choose where you want to go next with well, this. Let's handle the tricycle because you mentioned that you had gone to see this preview in a place where they had temporarily brought back the Michael Jackson, Captain EO. Mm-hmm. Now that led me to wonder, Hmm, you know, they will occasionally bring something back temporarily. Oh, like, say the Main Street Electrical Parade, which they brought back for a very temporary short, short, short run a few years ago. Oh, wait a minute. They're still (laughs) bringing it back. It's still back. Right. It was supposed to be brought back for a very short run after having been gone for a number of years and replaced by Spectro Magic. So they have a history of every so often paying homage to their roots and bringing back some attraction or some thing that was very popular in the past. And I thought it'd be neat if you had your wishing shoes on, and of course they're sparkly and red, and you could click your heels together and bring back any three things from the past, what would they be for a limited engagement? I like this idea. Did you want me to go first? You can start. All right. Okay. We'll go back and forth on this. We'll make it fair. All right. Um, the, the problem with this was limiting it to three. That was yes. the biggest challenge. The other thing I tried to do on this was I tried to make it realistic because right off the bat, the very first thing that occurred to me was, well, Horizons. But come on. I mean, Horizons isn't going to come. I mean, that would be a major undertaking to bring back like a, an attraction like that. Yeah. You know, whereas Captain EO was basically you change out the film and you make a couple of cosmetic changes to the to the facade of the building. And that's essentially it, you know? Yeah, true. Although I got to tell you, I have a couple of big projects on my list. So. OK, <laughs> I was tempted to do this actually to make two lists, one that was like eh, kind of realistic. And then the one that was more like, like I said, Horizons type stuff. Stuff. But here's what I essentially came up with. So my, for my number three, any of the classic Circle Vision films. And uh, uh, I, I thought of the of the three that I can think of at the top of my head that have run in the space that is now currently uh, Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor. Uh, before it was that, it was Timekeeper. Before that... Wait, wait, wait. Number- it was Timekeeper, but what was it called before it was called Timekeeper? Same attraction... Hmm. Timekeeper was not the original name. It Ooh. opened under a different name. Ooh, you got me on this one. Really? I, I've probably heard it, but off the top of my head, I can't... Because I, I know it had a different name in France, but I, I oh, no. can't... Hmm. It had a different name right there in the Magic Kingdom. What was it? The Transportarium. 
Hmm. I have not heard that before. Yep. And as difficult a name as that is, that's probably why they changed it. <laughs> I don't know if that's for a fact, huh? but uh, yeah, when it when it originally opened during the refurbishment of Tomorrowland, the early 90s refurbishment of Tomorrowland, it was initially called the Transportarium. And hmm. I would say within a year, they changed the name to Timekeeper. Wow. I did not know that. Yep. I think they were going for Transportarium would have been more of an in-world name for it. Because you wouldn't say, I'm going to go see the timekeeper. Because you didn't really, you're supposed to not really know in story. And let's face it, everything at Disney, there is a story. And you're, you know, the goal is to try to immerse you in that story as much as possible. If you went and said, I'm going to go see the timekeeper, it wouldn't have made any sense when you get there and you're surprised to find out it's a time machine. Right. That's true. That's very true. I think they were trying to keep that in story, in universe, in continuity. And it just, I think it confused people initially. Hmm. That one was actually going to make my list as well. Um, initially, it was on my list, and I, I removed it because, again, I think you're talking a major undertaking to to truly bring Timekeeper back. But that was going to be on my list was was Timekeeper because I've always felt really bad that I only ever did it once and didn't have fond memories of it. And it uh, wasn't until seeing it again years later on YouTube, you know, years after it had already gone away, that I saw the the video and was like, "Why didn't I like this? This is this was great." Yeah, it's a wonderful attraction. Really and was. and I realized that it was it was totally the conditions that I saw it in at the time that I saw it was the whole reason that it it didn't make a big impact on me, and why we never went to see it again while it was actually running. And I I just feel so guilty about that. I wish that I had gone to see it again. But, uh, yeah, anyway, that number three, uh, a classic circle vision films, because uh, the, the three that immediately popped into my mind were um, America the Beautiful, which may or may not be the same one that did eventually, they showed it on television, because I know that somewhere I have it on DVD. I don't know if it's the same one as the circle vision film or not. I think it might be. There was one called American Journeys that yeah. I don't think I've ever seen it, but I've got the audio to it. And it just, you know, just judging strictly by the audio, it sounds like it would have been really, you know, something I re- would have really enjoyed. And then uh, Magic Carpet Round the World, which ran in the 70s and may or may not have been running when I was there as a kid. I can't remember. I'd like to see that again, just to see if I did actually see it. Would I remember? Would it jog any memories? Would I remember anything of it? But I mean, they've had a number of these films over the years. They had uh, Magic Journeys, which, while it has a super cheesy soundtrack, I'd like to see that one as well, just because I, you know, I never did see it, so I think it could be fun. Well, that would but, have uh, been that would have been less than the three in the three sixty theater and more in the uh, in the Captain EO theater. That's true. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, that one I don't think was Circle Vision. You're right. No, that was just a 3D movie. But and I, I remember it having residence where uh, Philhar Magic is now, and also taking up residence where uh, right. Captain Neo was. Right. So it's been in a couple of places. They have actually brought that back before. So you never know. Hmm. It could come back again. It could because at the moment it, they either don't know or they're not saying what's coming after the Tomorrowland preview leaves, I seriously doubt it's going to go back to being either EO or uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. I am more than likely it's either going to sit empty or it's going to become something completely new or, as you say, maybe it would go super retro and bring back Magic Journeys, which I would be perfectly happy with. 
<laughs> we shall see. We shall see. So what's your number three? Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. <laughs> I love Mr. Toad. I was so sad when it went. I understand we have to move forward and there has to be progress, but that is a delightfully old school, classic dark ride that is just a ball and one of my favorite memories of Mr. Toad's Wild Ride is, well, I remember riding it when I was a kid, but I remember being a grumpy 15-year-old teenager, cynical as all 15-year-olds are, and on a band trip with my buddies, and we're all, you know, we're at Disney World, but, you know, we're grown up, we're 15, and, you know, that stuff's for kids, and blah, 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 and I remember getting on two things, I remember getting on Peter Pan, and I remember getting on Mr. Toad, and just having a ball, and realizing this is who I am, and this is what I do. I enjoy this these parks like you wouldn't believe. And Mr. Toad was always kind of a symbol of how much I enjoyed these these uh, these old school dark rides that they used to have everywhere in uh, Fantasyland. That's mine. I would really like to see that because again, if if I did it as a kid, I I have no memory of it whatsoever. Uh. Um, but just the fact of, as you say, a classic dark ride. I I'm a sucker for classic dark rides, so I oh, yeah. think I would love it. Just just because that's what it is and uh i i rather enjoy the uh the mr toad sequence of um the adventures of ichabod and mr toad i just i I like that movie quite a bit so the fact that it had its own attraction yeah i I would like to see that absolutely all right number two you you may laugh at this one but I'm, i'm actually serious about this I was thinking about this a lot while we were walking around uh, the Flower and Garden Festival a couple of days ago at Epcot. So my number two of things I'd like to see come back for a limited engagement at Walt Disney World, topiaries. No, I don't laugh at all. There used to be topiaries everywhere. Specifically, they used to have a line of topiaries all the way from the TTC to the Contemporary on the monorail. Yes. And I missed that. And I can remember, I, I hope I have pictures somewhere. I really don't know. But I can distinctly remember the first time that we ever walked into the Magic Kingdom from the Contemporary. That walk from the Contemporary to the front of Magic Kingdom, there's some open grassy like hill areas. It's, it's on the berm, on, the, on our side of the berm that separates you from... The park, you know, that separates you from the backside of of Main Street, USA. Those areas, there were topiaries. I can remember there was one with an elephant that was either balancing a ball on its nose or it was balancing on a ball. I can't remember, but there were were several that were elephant-themed that Mm -hmm. were there. And I know there there were others in other places that I can't even remember anymore, but those are the ones that most stand out in my memory. And... I'm just sad that they don't exist anymore, that, that there's not as many topiaries as there used to be. Now you kind of have to hunt for them. There, There's a whole can of worms you open up here with this. And that is, or at least a whole can of worms in my mind, which is at this point, the age of the monorail trains themselves is becoming an issue. They cannot run as long as they once ran. And the capacity, let's be honest, right now Disney's shoveling more guests into those parks than they ever have before. Part of the magic of going to the Magic Kingdom for me is you're going to a place that you cannot just walk into. You have to either get on this train 
and go there, or you have to get on a boat and go there, but you cannot just go there. And now, of course, they've got it set up so that there are also buses taking over there, which to me robs it of a lot of the magic. Yes. Uh, For me, part of the experience of going to the Magic Kingdom is getting on that monorail. The very first time I got on there, I I remember four years old getting on the monorail and seeing the topiaries and just going nuts. Mm-hmm. Because that was part of that journey that you take on the train. Uh, you know, at first it's the topiaries, and then it's, oh, by the way, you're going to go through this building. And, uh, yeah, I miss them very much. I have often remarked to my family that I thought the topiaries should make a return, so I won't laugh at all at that. I'm with you. I think it's part of the magic of, of transporting yourself into that world of fantasy. Absolutely. Because yeah. where else do the bushes grow in the shape of Mary Poppins? Nowhere. <laughs> No, I, I love it. I love it. Uh, I told you I had some things that were going to take some serious rebuilding. Here's one. So I don't know how you would concoct a limited engagement of this, but I would like to see a return of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. <laughs> I had a feeling that might make your list. <laughs> I can't tell you how simple the illusion of going to the very bottom of the ocean is and how easily it is created. But yeah, how thoroughly convincing and immersive it is to a little kid. That is one of the very few things I remember about that trip as a child in 74 was going on the submarine. And I completely bought it. Yeah. Completely bought it that we were on a real sub and and on the bottom of the sea. Yeah, I, I did. Yeah, I would love to see that come back. And I know that we are not alone in that by a long yeah. shot, that a lot of people lament the loss of... Uh, of twenty thousand leagues. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know where you put it. I don't know how you rebuild it temporarily. Uh, that's probably why this is all pipe dreams. But it, <laughs> it just—it was so magical. Again, what you'll find with me is a lot of it comes from, as I mentioned earlier, being immersed in the story, being immersed in the fantasy. Whatever you're doing becomes your reality at that moment. That's the thing that always grabbed me about Disney World. Period. And that was a great example of, of exactly that to me. No, I think that's a great choice. I really do. Well, thank you. We might see something like that, though, in the future, because isn't there a, uh, a remake in the works? I think, th- I think there is. And, of course, you know, you've got uh, Finding Dory coming up, so you never know what they'll do. That's true. That's true. Well, the, the one that's out at Disneyland right now, isn't that uh, an outgrowth of Nemo? Yep. Didn't they basically retheme it with yes, Nemo? They did. Yes, they did. And, yeah. But I think it's shut down now too, isn't it? Oh, I you know I don't know that that could I think, be. I think not too long ago they shut it down. I'll have to look that up before we get done with the show here. Yeah. Well, I'm going to point this out only because uh, if I don't, then we'll probably end up getting a flood of emails, and I, and I, I don't want you to uh, I don't want you to have to endure that uh, that correction process. Uh-oh. There is actually a Mary Poppins topiary that's over at the Grand Floridian. Yeah, just, but it's not so you know. on the way. It's not on the monorail line. <laughs> This is true. That's, that's this is what true. I'm talking about. I'm talking right. Getting in that monorail <laughs> and seeing, you know, and and when I said where else does it grow, I meant you know other than Disney World. So, well, I, no, I'm I'm, just, I'm yeah. Teasing. No, it uh, yeah. It looks like it is uh, the submarine voyage. Let me say, I think it is now closed, but I'm still not. I'm okay. still not sure. Let's see. Uh, wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry, I'm holding everything up for this. No, it's open. It's open as Nemo. Okay. It is All still- right. Yeah, I, I honestly was not sure. Yeah, I, I had, for some reason, I thought it had recently closed, but because it, it's been open for eight years, and nowadays, that's a life cycle for a lot of these attractions. 
Right. Yeah, that's uh, true. Unfortunately, it's uh, you know it's just kind of gotten that way. But it looks like it is still open and still. In fact, I'm just, I've got a photo of it from just a couple of months ago sitting here. So. Uh, it's still open, but it's obviously, as we said, Nemo themed. And I, I honestly, I'd like to see the story of Twenty Thousand Leagues brought back into the culture too. There's just certain stories that are have slipped out of the culture that I'd like to see returned. One of them is that. One of them is Swiss Family Robinson. There's there's yeah. no reason you can't do a successful retelling of that story in this day and age. I always feel bad, or not feel bad, but feel guilty rather when I just kind of blow by the the Swiss Family Treehouse because I couldn't tell you the last time I went up in it. I appreciate it on so many levels. I really do. As a matter of fact, that one is always going to hold a very special place in my heart because that was the first bit of Disney homework I ever did after going to Walt Disney World for the first time as an adult when I when I caught the Disney bug was researching Swiss Family Robinson because I knew I had seen it as a child but I had like zero memory of it so we went in in 99 and Scotty was three and he loved that so much that when we were done with it he started asking me questions like daddy you know he realized even at that tender age that there was a story involved with all of these things that were there and so he started asking me questions questions that i couldn't remember the answers to so that was the first bit of disney homework we ever did was when we got back home after that first trip we rented a copy of swiss family robinson and watched it and and what a great film you know, it's just it's one of those good, wholesome Disney films from from yesteryear that just holds up remarkably well. And uh, and I definitely put um, uh, 20,000 Leagues in the same category because, yeah. you know, you, you would think being Disney fans that I would defend any of them. But there are some that don't yeah. because I tried a while back to watch Treasure Island. And, you know, with apologies to anybody that might be a fan of that one, I just didn't think it held up. I, it couldn't keep my attention. Whereas there are other ones that just have a timeless quality about them. Swiss Family was definitely one. 20,000 Leagues is definitely one. So I think Song of the South and So Dear to My Heart. There's there's a good number of them that just hold up remarkably well for as old as they are. They just they have a, a, a just a wonderful, timeless sense to them. So... I agree with you. I I try not to complain about it too much, but I, I actually consider myself quite the advocate for a little less of the neoclassic and more of the classic, if yes. you please, when it comes to the parks, because it, it pains me so much to go into the parks these days and, and everything has become about everything that exists in the world of Disney from 1989 yep. forward. And so much of the classic stuff is slowly falling by the wayside. And, and I, and you know, so much of what exists at Walt Disney World is because of those classics that I, I don't like it when they, they start to be forgotten. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely. Which is going to, that's going to actually factor in heavily to one of my honorable mentions here in a moment. <laughs> but, uh, so as I said, I, I, I tried to resist the urge to, to, to be unrealistic when it came to these lists because I realized a, a couple of things. For one, if I mentioned something like, say, Horizons, 
you know, for one, it is unrealistic. They're not going to completely rebuild Horizons just for a limited engagement. But also that that just those words, limited engagement, kind of curtailed me on some of these wilder fantasies too. Because if they really did reconstruct Horizons, I wouldn't want it to be a limited engagement. I'd want it to stay. Sure. So I, I really tried to resist the urge to to name attractions. However, when it came to my number one, I kind of cheated a little bit. So my number one on my list uh, of the things I'd really like to see come back, at, at least for a limited engagement, as I said, kind of the theme of this last trip that we took, my wife and I, was doing things either we had never done at Walt Disney World before or things that we hadn't done in a very, very long time. We hadn't done Ellen in years, as it turned out. And another attraction, although it's one of my absolute favorites that we hadn't done in a very long time, was the Carousel of Progress. I love that attraction. I just, I don't do it every time. And it's probably been at least a year or so since I'd done it last. So we went and we rode the Carousel of Progress. And as always happens, we got to the end of it. And my wife said, man, they need to update that last scene. (laughs) And I said, you know, it's not that I don't agree with you, but here's the thing. I don't want them to update it so much as I wish that they would just pull the trigger. And because... Uh, Gene Shepard says, I hope you've enjoyed this tribute to the 1964 version of this from the World's Fair. I wish they'd just pull the trigger and make it either that version or here's the one I really wish that they would do. I wish that they would make it the original Disneyland version because here's my number one. I want the progress city scene in the Carousel of Progress. (laughs) Because originally at Disneyland, it had a scene that was slightly different from the World's Fair in that at the final scene when they're, they're talking about Christmas and they're talking, it was very much a projection of the future. Yeah. And outside the window behind the mother and father, you saw Progress City, which was essentially Walt's Epcot yeah. out the window. And that model is upstairs on the people mover track. Yep. So I'm saying take that model, bring it downstairs, refit that scene and make it completely retro. So you've got your your original 1890s scene, you've got the 20s, you've got the 40s, and then you've got the 60s projection of the future. And it would tie in very nicely to the current theme at... Tomorrowland, which is the future that never was, and also with with the Tomorrowland movie about to hit, I, I think the whole thing would tie together wonderfully. So I really wish that they would do that, even if it was just for a limited engagement, you know, to to generate some some buzz for the film or what, you know, some synergy for the film or whatever. But I, I've long wished that they would bring that back. Yeah. All right. I I, uh, I enjoy that myself. That would be great. Quiet sport. I play the lead role in one of the most fascinating shows at Disneyland, the General Electric Carousel of Progress, a four-act play which tells the story of progress through electricity since the turn of the century. And who knows more about progress than General Electric? Sport and I and 30 other performers show you how electric servants have taken over the work in the home. And we'll show you fabulous progress city where we live. Of course, a lot of people think us actors are pretty fabulous, too, because now that you're this close, you can see that we're not even real. See General Electric's Carousel of Progress at Disneyland, right in the middle of Tomorrowland, just where you'd expect to find General Electric. General Electric.
So what's your number one? I'm dying to know. <laughs> My number one is probably going to come out of left field for you. I would make, for a limited time, I would make Main Street USA into the Main Street that used to be. Again, there would be some construction involved because there's some alleys that don't exist anymore. But I'd like to see those little side streets and alleys restored. There's only there's only really one on each side now, and there were more initially. Uh, I'd like to see the barbershop return to the way it used to be. You could go in, if you were a, a grown man, you could go in and get a straight razor shave with a towel, you know, hot towel and all that. Uh, wow. Nowadays, you go in and they'll cut little kids' hair, and that's about it. Whereas in the old day, it was an actual full-service, old-school barber. I would like mm-hmm. to see the return of the magic shop. I knew oh, you were going to say that. And, and, yeah. you know, I was, I think, and I don't I don't disagree with I you. I think yeah. I was telling you the other day that I'm, I'm a little disappointed in the way downtown Disney has gone. because, And I'm, I'm, I'm not disappointed in what they're doing right now because I think they're doing some really good things to restore the desire to go there. But I had started to lose a lot of my desire to go there because, I mean, I like D Street. But then what else on that side of it do I really care for? Not much. Um, so... Well, I think the strongest argument that I would make for for the you know for what you said the the magic shop is for one, come on, it's Disney magic. It's just yeah. you know they go together like you know bacon and eggs. But also, you're gonna do away with the magic shop that I don't know anybody that didn't like it. You may have never bought anything there, yeah. but I don't know anybody that didn't love the magic shop. You're gonna do away with that. Yet the stinky cigar store is still there. And <laughs> that makes no sense to me whatsoever. You know, and, and sometimes it's not all about the dollars per square foot. Sometimes it's about exactly. the magic per square foot. And mm-hmm. they had lots of that in spades. And I'll tell you something else. I don't want to throw Universal at them. But Universal has magic shops and magic you know, dealers, magic vendors. And mm-hmm. they sell a ton of really bad gimmicked tricks and they do it right. because they go and they display them they they demonstrate them for the kids the kids go nuts and they buy them and that's the mm-hmm. kind of thing that used to happen in that magic shop that should happen in that magic shop you can sell a bunch of cheap gimmicked tricks to kids uh, so you can generate yep. some revenue you're not going to sell hundred dollar purses but you're you can you can make some money doing that uh, the penny arcade would be restored in the old main street mm-hmm. Uh, I, nothing jazzed me more than those old baseball games. You pump yeah. in your original nickel or your dime or your horse racing games. Remember those? Mm-hmm. Love those things. And of course, the moviolas and just there was. It, it, first off, there was something cool in being a little kid, and not having a lot of money, and still being able to spend several pennies on these uh, moviolas. Because if you remember, they left them the original price. Yeah. So again, they didn't generate a lot of revenue per square foot, but. They, there was a lot of magic to them because they were the things that you would imagine would have been on Main Street when Walt was a young man. And, uh, of course, the Main Street cinema would have to return. Six screens of glorious, glorious, silent black and white movies. You can go in there and just spend your time looking at all of them, watching them, enjoy them at your pace. Come in when you want, leave when you want, and enjoy the Main Street cinema. Uh, Main Street, the way it used to be, would be my final limited run engagement return. Well, I, I think hand-in-hand hand with that, one that uh, that I was very tempted to put on my list was more of the the live music. Yeah. Because, you know, you used to have the band. Yep. 
And they still do have one because it was playing uh, when we were there, um, you know, not long ago. But it's not like it was. I mean, it, it was like a full, like, marching band that would oh, come yeah. down Main Street. And it's not really that anymore. I think it's like six Yeah, it's guys. like a six or eight piece, yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm talking like a full band that actually put on like a band concert in the park, you know, like like in the square type of thing. I, I would love As that. As they would say and on they, the 4th of July, which is what day it is every day at the Magic Kingdom on Main Street. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Mm-hmm. In story, I think that's been lost over time. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that that that's so much true anymore. But yeah, you're right. Did you have any honorable mentions? Oh yeah, but I mean, I could go on for a year and a half with honorable mentions. So I I opted <laughs> against doing honorable mentions for that very reason. I mean, you know, I would I would uh, limited time engagement, and I know it's not physically possible at this point, but restore the the speedway to the length that used to be. If you recall, right. they made it a little shorter when they first introduced Mickey's Birthday Land. Uh, yeah. I'd like to see it the original length. I enjoyed it very much as a kid, um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna start haggling over that stuff because uh, I could be here all day talking about the things I want to come back. <laughs> I think we need to do an entire show of not so much limited engagement, but just plain bring it back. <laughs> but. Uh, Still on that theme of uh, of limited engagement type of stuff, just three that, that occurred to me while we were covering this list that I wanted to throw out there. You said the magic word, dude. You mentioned Spectral Magic. <laughs> I miss Spectral Magic so much. Um, love and respect the Main Street Parade and its very, very adamant fans, rabid fans. Yes. But I'm always going to be a Spectrum Magic boy. I, I love. I just think it has the better soundtrack. I, I think it had the better floats. I just. I loved Spectrum Magic. Definitely has the better sound, soundtrack. Um, You're very right about that. In, in that same vein, uh, I hope this doesn't get me beaten up too much. But I've never liked Wishes. I just. Oh. I, I. I think it's a beautiful spectacle. I really don't like the soundtrack to it i really wish and again this could be limited engagement and and i know before somebody writes in i already know that they do this but i'm talking like where everybody could see it i would love fantasy in the sky to come back now i know that they do bring it back once or twice a year i want to say christmas and independence day i think don't hold me to that but i i know that it does come back christmas wishes as well there's a Christmas oh, that's true. Wishes. So maybe they... Oh, you know what? Maybe it's New Year's, huh. I'm thinking. Maybe it's New Year's. But I, I know that they do bring it back once or twice a year. Uh, or at least they used to. I don't know. It, it's been a while because my first year at Walt Disney World, I was in transportation. So I was at the transportation ticket center quite often because I worked in monorails. And so I could hear it at night when they would set the fireworks off. And I can distinctly remember Fantasy in the Sky playing a couple of times that first year. And I want to say, again, I think it was New Year's and I think it was Independence Day. Mm. So, like I say, it it does come back. But I'm talking, you know, those are tough for people to get to because I know a lot of people actively avoid not only Magic Kingdom. A lot of them avoid Walt Disney World as a whole when it comes to, say, Christmas, New Year's and Independence Day just because it's And rightfully so. (laughs) And rightfully so, exactly. So I'm talking bring back Fantasy in the Sky as a limited engagement, say, for a couple weeks or a couple months or something so that everybody would get a chance to see it. Because I just, 
I like that one so much better. To be honest Um, with you, I like Wishes. I like Wishes a lot. But I will say that it has been around for quite some time. And I think it's kind of at the end of its life cycle. I mean, I think it's time to put something different up there. I'd be all right with that if they wanted to switch it out. I'm all right with that one in a way that I am not all right with all the rumors of them wanting to do the same thing with Illuminations. I know Illuminations has been around for a good long while, too, but I will cry my eyes out the day they get well, rid of that. Well, I just think they need to modify it a little bit, and they've done that over the years from time to time. I think it just needs a few tweaks. Right. I, I don't think the Illuminations needs to go away by any stretch. Right. The last one of my honorable mentions was uh, just a simple one, Characters. Mm. Um, during, uh, what was it called, Limited Time Magic last year... There were at least two events I can think of, maybe more, but at least two of them I can think of off the top of my head, where they brought back characters that we had not seen for decades. You know, like the Three Little Pigs and uh, Robin Hood and some ones. I'd love to see them do that much more often. Yeah, a, a little diversity and variety to their characters. There's been a drumbeat about diversity lately, and usually I'm, uh, I'm not really... I, I think it's a little Tempest in a teapot, but in this case, I'm going to go with you. Cool. All right. Well, that wraps us up on our tri-circle for this time. Yep. So I know that we discussed a bit of Tomorrowland a little while ago, but I know that there's a new book out that's kind of a prequel to Tomorrowland. You showed it to me the other day, and I went and bought it immediately on my Kindle. I'm a little disappointed because the Kindle version doesn't have the comic book that is included with the regular book. Really? Yeah. I'm not sure why they did that, but that was the decision they made on their own. But you know, one of the last things I want to... I want to say about it because I haven't started reading that book yet. I just finished the other book I was reading this morning, so that's the next thing I'm going to read. I just want to encourage people. Now, I haven't seen the movie, and I can't give you a wholehearted endorsement of it, but what I can tell you is if you are a someone who loves the parks and loves the magic of the Disney parks, I think you owe it to yourself to support this film. Yes, please. Because uh, like you, I don't know that it's getting the right marketing push, and that does concern me. I would hate to see this thing be a spectacular, marvelous, brilliant, beautiful movie that could really change trends in entertainment, only to find nobody went to see it because nobody knew what in the world it was. I would like to see people who are fans of the parks not only support it and go see it, but also take other people to it and make sure to tell other people about it. I I remember last year that movie, uh, Day After Tomorrow, or Edge of Tomorrow, came out. And mm-hmm. so many people kept talking about what a wonderful movie it was and what a great piece of science fiction, you know, how everybody wants something different and this is different, but yet nobody went to see it because, again, it didn't have the proper marketing campaign. And, you know, that can very easily happen. So I, I think this is something we all need to kind of be on our toes about and make sure we talk it up as much as possible. Absolutely. I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to say, but, you know, I've, I've owned this book now for... Uh, my gosh, it's probably about a week now when we were, were staying on property. I've not gotten past the prologue. I read the prologue, and that's as far as I've made it, but that's just because I've been so busy <laughs> doing other things, you know, podcast homework, and just, you know, basically just being lazy and enjoying my vacation. But uh, I intend that. to rip into this. But yeah, this book is called Before Tomorrowland. It's a, from the world of Tomorrowland, and it has the logo from the movie, but the, the title of the book is actually Before Tomorrowland. And uh, it has. Four authors, essentially, uh, Jeff Jensen, Jonathan Case, Brad Bird, who's the director of the film, and uh, Damon Lindelof. is the screenwriter. Right. right. And uh, the back cover, this is the description, the the cover copy it has on it. It says, the year is 1939. A secret society of extraordinary geniuses is about to share an incredible discovery with the world. 
a misguided enemy, half man, half machine, will stop at nothing to prevent the group from giving this forbidden knowledge to humanity. And a mother and son on vacation in New York City are handed a comic book infused with a secret code that will lead them to the middle of the conspiracy. Unlock a world of unfathomable science and technology, of unlimited resources, of hope for a better tomorrow. Unlock the world of Tomorrowland. And that just gives me chills, dude. And the imagery on both the front and back cover of this book, you know, because I have the actual, uh, the hardback book. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the price on is $16.99. So it's, I mean, it's not terribly expensive. And it's, and it's marketed that, as a young adult novel, but I think it really, it, it looks to me like a book that really anybody can read. Right. But I just, I love the art on this because it is in that very classic, again, that, that 30s projection of what we thought the future, because you remember, you know, the, and I'm talking to the listening audience, if you remember the opening scenes of Horizons at Epcot, this is very much what this looks like, that projection of the future, you know, with, with airships and flying vehicles and very fanciful looking buildings and uh you know just just how things looked as envisioned at the at the 1939 world's fair that's that's very much what this is and uh you know i'm I'm actually ashamed of myself earlier today just to give the listeners a peek behind the curtain earlier today this morning uh michael bailey and i sat down pardon me and recorded the latest episode of uh tales of the justice society of america the era that we're covering right now is a is a book called uh the all-star squadron the all-star squadron takes place in the 1940s and their headquarters is the parisphere and trilon from the 1939 world's fair i should have mentioned this book on that show and completely forgot to say anything about it so uh i'll have to mention that next time around but yeah if, if you didn't know that yeah, that is, uh, you know, in that in that fantasy world of the All Star Squadron and the Justice Society, that was their headquarters. In that book was uh, was the World's Fairground. So I just think that's neat. Oh yeah. I, like I said before at the beginning of the show, I love when my my various interests all cross over into each other like that. I just think that's so much fun. Absolutely. So again, just make sure that you get out there and and support it. And you don't have to buy all the books like we're doing and all of that, but just make sure you see it and encourage other people to see it because that's the only way it's going to be successful. And this, I feel like this needs to be successful. I want it to be so bad. I really, really do. You know, it just occurred to me something that I completely forgot to mention in the preview, much like you remember, you and I went to see the preview that they had for guardians of the galaxy over in Hollywood studios. Well, as we're sitting in the theater waiting for guardians, remember I, I remarked on the music, how great the music was that they were playing. Well, the music they were playing, of course, was the soundtrack to the film. Now, there was music playing before the Tomorrowland preview as well. I'm almost 100% positive that it's got to be the soundtrack to the movie because I I consider myself having a pretty good ear for composers, and I'm a big fan of Michael Giacchino, who's scoring this film definitely sounded like a Giacchino and it didn't sound like anything I'd ever heard from him before. So again, I'm, I'm assuming it was the soundtrack to the film. If it was fantastic score, it was really, really good stuff. So again, I, that just makes me that much more excited about it because the feel of the, of the soundtrack was very much like the carousel of progress. You know, it, it just, the music invoked a feeling of hopeful future. 
you know, great big beautiful tomorrow type of thing without just being that song. You know what I mean? It's hard to describe, you know, what music sounds like, but that's what it sounded like. It was very, very hopeful. It really took me back to if you've ever heard, there was a box set that they put out a number of years ago for the 64 World's Fair of the Disney attractions. And there was some really great music on there on one of the discs of the Progress Land section. And the music that they were playing in this preview really was invocative of that music that was being played at Progress Land at the at the World's Fair. And I just I, I love that. So the people that are making this movie, you know, from the from the guy who wrote it to the guy who directed it to the people that are starring in it to the guy composing the music understand the emotion and the feel that that's going into this and, and what people want from something that you're going to so brazenly entitle Tomorrowland. And, and I love that. I, I really think this movie is going to be really something. But again, I agree with you. I, I hope that it gets the proper push and the proper word of mouth. Because I, I think word of mouth still with all the technology and everything about how movies are done today, I think ultimately word of mouth still the strongest thing out there when it comes to making or breaking a movie. So, yeah, go see it and, and talk it up. Absolutely. Well, I think that leaves us uh, with our last section uh, where we... Uh, I, I don't know if we discussed this beforehand, but did we still want to do our... Uh, I know something you don't know. Were you, were you prepared for that segment? totally not prepared for that segment. <laughs> 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 All right. Do we want to... We'll have to delay it. We want to save that for next time. Then. Yeah. And next time also we're going to be uh, previewing Star Wars Weekends. Oh, we're going to talk it up bigger than that. <laughs> so next episode. Okay, so you may or may not have noticed that we have not, for some time now, had a Walt Disney World for the Such and Such Geek segment. It's not that the segment kind of fell by the wayside, but it kind of fell by the wayside. We're bringing it back in big style next time because next episode, that's what the episode's going to be. So next time around, Walt Disney World for the Star Wars Geek. That's our focus episode. So uh, join us for that just in time, as it turns out, for Star Wars Weekends. So uh, you'll have that to look forward to. And uh, please write in. Let us know how you think we're doing, how you enjoy the show, or things you want us to work on, things you want us to talk about. Write in with your top three things that you'd like to see come back for a limited engagement and uh, whatever else you want to talk to us about. We have been getting some fantastic feedback to the show that we will be addressing, I promise you. It's just we didn't do it this time around because I really wanted to make up to you guys for missing a couple of episodes and uh, and produce a, a, a super-sized episode of just us geeking out about Walt Disney World. So I hope you enjoyed it, but please do continue to write in. We will be addressing those emails in the very near future. Anything else to add, Scott? No, just go see Tomorrowland and... Um Scott will be giving you your money back if you don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop... Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual, 
and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Freaks.